Welcome to Vaginance, listeners. We're very happy to have you. Tonight, we are talking a lot about investment styles and our individual approaches to investing and where we lie on the spectrum of risk comfort versus risk averseness. And we talk about our experience with that and what's held us back from investing or what has propelled us into investing in various different areas. And I'm Becca. I'm Taylor. I'm Jules. And Maggie. So, okay, the, uh, one of the reasons that this idea for a podcast topic came to mind was I was reflecting on how the four of us and maybe those that we are in relationships with who affect our finances treat risk when it comes to money. Because I was thinking about my portfolio I think about two and a half percent of my net worth is in crypto, which compared to Julie's, which I think you've said on the podcast, right? I'm not it's sure, like but it's nine point nine easily, yeah. easily at this point because it's also grown even more. I yeah. mean, it's really crowded out. We probably have less than half a percent in anything else. Well, if not, you're not counting your house, house. yeah, not yeah, house. So. I think that shows a huge difference in like risk comfort and risk averseness. Um, so I thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about because I know everyone listening probably ha- is in a totally different spot on the spectrum of what you're comfortable with and what maybe is a blockade for you. And in because inv- investing in general is a risk, like we a hundred percent. So I think maybe talking through it a little bit about why you're comfortable with certain risk and not would be helpful for people. Because I know that was my biggest thing with that's why it took me 31 years to get into it is I was like well if I just hoard all my money then it can't be taken from me mm-hmm. when of course we learn that with inflation your money is being taken from you mm-hmm. and the money that you're hoarding is going to be worth less and less and less every year so unless it's growing even at a small steady rate you're losing money actively the more mm-hmm. you hoard so 10 years of hoarding 10 years of losing money on my end um so i was hoping we could talk a little bit about that and then get into the more nitty-gritty about how we approach investing. So I I think what you're saying, Becca, is actually a really useful way to frame keeping money in savings, Mm -hmm. is that you're not just storing money, you're actually investing, you're choosing to invest in the US dollar Mm -hmm. without really assessing whether or not that's the best investment you have Mm -hmm. available. And when you think about that as an investment, I think it can totally change the way you look at where you wanna keep your money. Yeah. Well, so what would we consider the least like, well, like it's so subjective, what's considered least risky? Because um, a lot of people might argue that real estate is the least risky form of investment. I think that depends, again, if it's leveraged yeah. real estate investment or a cash purchase on an asset that's insured and right. cash flows. Mm-hmm. You know, those are very different investments. It also seems very inaccessible to a lot of people compared to the stock market like you 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 can have five dollars and invest in the stock market you mm-hmm. cannot have five dollars and invest in real estate unless you buy a real estate etf fund but buying property alone i think it's a little more inaccessible to a lot of people that can't necessarily afford houses or get a loan for a house true so while it could be long term a better bet it might be harder for a lot of people. I was going to say that about risk in general is some of my risk choices are made because of accessibility. Like I chose to invest in 401k because I was given that option, not Mm -hmm. necessarily because it was less risky. Yeah. Right. So 
It's just like circumstances have a big portion of play in how much risk you're willing to take. Totally. Um, so Taylor, what's your what's your risk levels? <laughs> On a scale of um, sitting at home alone in a bubble to <laughs> like mid COVID breakout concert, no mask. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like Cancun spring break. <laughs> yeah. What are your risk levels of the <laughs> Well, um, I would say I'm probably in the middle, maybe like a, a hundred person. Didn't put on hand sanitizer after picking cons- up your groceries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll spend $300 on crap I don't need, but I won't put $300 in something that isn't like a index fund. Like if it's like a meme stock, I'll spend a little bit of money on meme stock. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a lie because I did spend like two hundred bucks on GameStop. <laughs> More than two hundred bucks, right? <clears throat> Didn't you spend like six hundred bucks? It was in increments. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't all at once, and she made all her money back. And I did make all my money back, for the record, <laughs> and a little bit extra, but not much. Well, I feel like we're also so new to the investing space; we're figuring yeah. out what our own s- approach is. But it depends on the day. I feel like you, <laughs> you have. I would argue, um a more balanced and maybe less risky approach. Because I know, especially when we started talking about active investing, because we all, you know, we were super in on passive investing, investing in index funds um, and just kind of letting the market ride and investing in that ride um, broadly. Mm -hmm. And then once we started learning about meme stocks, GameStop was our introduction really into Mm -hmm. active investing basically. I know that you're used immediately started leaning towards value investing, right? And like wanting to know what a company's actually worth to see if you actually want to put money into it versus me where I read a forum and some random 17 year old <laughs> is like, invest in this fucking weed stock, man, it's going to blow up. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. But I love, I love that you do that though, because I love like being like on the outside, like watching it. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> I, well, I lost money. That's always the answer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it seems like value investing is one of your preferred ways of moving forward. And now you seem to yeah. re- lean really heavy to ETFs. You always are finding new ETFs to yeah, invest in. Yeah, there are just so many interesting ETFs that I think are fun that give me the thrill of like, uh, like fun and inve- like active investing. But I feel like I'm still hedging my bets on like a lot of different businesses. So I feel more comfortable putting my money in them. So it'll be like, ooh, this is a really cool like, you know, um, like storage facility come ETF. It's <laughs> like specifically like very digital. Very <laughs> like, cool. There's like digital storage ETFs and like uh that specialize in like cold storage and i'm like that's cool or like i've been doing a lot of water etf investments um because i feel like water is just like we're gonna fucking need it <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah yeah man. <laughs> so yeah that's what i find a lot of fun in like researching but i still i have not finished invested the book mm-hmm. but i still need to fucking figure out how to actually value a company pro- appropriately because i still have no fucking idea how to do that dude andy listened to that book and now he's got a fucking spreadsheet and he really? like v- evaluates companies when oh he my wants God, to invest he didn't in even them. tell me yeah you, he'd pro- i'm sure he'd share it with you i'll just ask him to t- tell me how to do it he i think he really enjoys it because i'll ask him like can you just evaluate this company real quick that's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. I need to finish the book too. I actually did really enjoy the book. I just mm-hmm. got distracted with dumb shit. 
but like going to Costa Rica for two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that. Um, and then Taylor also has real estate. So that also goes into how you approach it. Yeah. It's not when, especially when you bought it it was not a low risk situation. True. I, it was weird though. I feel like I get in these moods where I'm like, I really want to do this and I, it's all I can think about and I get Mm -hmm. like obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And I, when I moved back, I think it was such a huge like adjustment emotionally, physically, everything that I wanted to feel like I was moving forward in my life mm-hmm. because I was coming back to Austin. I was coming back to somewhere where I like spent a lot of time when I was younger and it felt like I wasn't sure if I was making the right decision because I didn't know if I was just like going backwards, you know, like, oh, I'm just moving back home. And now I'm back in Texas and I'm not like trying new things. So I think that was kind of probably Mm -hmm. the spark that was like, I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. I need to buy a house. So I feel like an adult and I'm not just like like living at my parents and like I'm back in college and, you know, don't have shit to show for it. So I think that's probably what really motivated me to do that. And then, you know, Zach being a real estate agent helped a lot because real estate, most real estate agents are terrible. So him like knowing so much and being able to help me out a lot was like a huge factor as well. And then I just saw the house, I saw my house and I was like, this feels right. You know, cause I was looking for so long and nothing like quite fit. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I saw the listing for my, for the house that I own now, I was like, it was like a good price. It was in an area I wanted to be. Yeah. Nailed it. Well, and you, you closed on it a week after, or you, you, you submitted an offer the week after the city shut down for COVID, <laughs> yeah. closed on it a couple weeks after that. was after probably that. Uh, dumb. Well, that's the thing. It was a very high risk thing. And oh my God, it's paid off. Like, holy shit, your yeah. house has increased in value dramatically, <laughs> really dramatically. Yeah. It's but it was ballsy because you were, ballsy. you had just reskilled. Yeah. Still trying to decide what your career trajectory. Yeah pandemic global pandemic had started mm-hmm. and you still went for it and it was the right call yeah there i think there's like a certain amount of like denial that you have to like be in a oh. state where you're like yeah. i can do this like you kind of <laughs> have to like amp yourself up yeah i can do this <laughs> and then you know it, it's like to, a delusion if that today you maggie to. talked to day buying house maggie i would be like you're gonna need more money than that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Exactly, yes. And I was like, no, it's fine. I think I like literally spent every dollar in my bank account. Whoa. And was like, hope nothing breaks until I I get paid again. My dad's gold. (laughs) I get even half the amount that I needed. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah. Exactly. I had the same thing. I was like, well, hope nothing terribly, you know, goes wrong. It's fine. Yeah. Well, I got the I got the home warranty, which helped when the AC broke two days later. So Welcome yeah. to Texas. <laughs> it's it's a lot. And I didn't fully understand how interest worked when I bought a house. So I was like, yeah, 375 is all I have to pay. And then I was like, oh no. My mortgage is a lot more than just what I just me paying off my house. They want a lot of money in interest. Like it it doesn't seem like a lot when you're looking at low numbers, but when it's such a huge amount that you owe. Over 30 years, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh no, I'm actually spending like $500,000 on this house, which hopefully will be worth more than that. Maybe I one day By 30 it. years? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Yeah, you can also like pay it off sooner at some point if you get extra money. Or yeah, if I like, I don't know, win the lottery or um, maybe I get a bunch of money from shorting Warren Buffett's companies. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's my plan. I hope so- the best for you there. <laughs> We just have to learn options trading. Let's do it. We have to do it. This let's do it this week. Okay. <laughs> while we're watching Jigsaw. Yeah, well, we have to finish the Saw universe and then we can get into options trading, which is the douchiest thing I've ever said. <laughs> yeah, it was a little hard to hear, for sure. <laughs> so sorry. The new Saw movie's coming out, and we gotta finish the franchise until we get to it. We're gonna see it opening weekend like psychopaths. <laughs> Julie, do you want to talk about your investing journey and how you are invested now? Because you haven't always been 99.999% invested in crypto. Well, technically, she's not now either. She does have real estate. Does have real estate. And businesses. Well, as far as investments go, yeah, I would say that our primary investment for the last six years has been our house, our primary residence, which is also a liability. But sometime last year, the equity outpaced our debt in it. So Uh, uh, it became uh. an investment then. And our actual investments in things up until that point still would have largely been crypto, just a much, much smaller total Mm -hmm. portfolio than our current, which is kind of astronomical right now. Which is amazing. So, which mansion are you going to buy the house <laughs> yeah. down the street for us? Uh, hopefully, hopefully, maybe a bigger one. Please. We'll see. Where were you two years ago? Like massively <clears throat> in debt, trying to pay off your taxes for five years. Well, we're still waiting on our <laughs> to get appraised. I'm just so saying, we can like, do our refi so that we can pay the taxes. But yes, truly insane. Yes, truly insane. It's mind-boggling how much insane. you can get done in like two years, one year. Just one year is crazy. One year. Maybe next year we'll have a million bucks. That'd be great. Uh, fingers crossed like for all of that. us. That is like crypto. Go a 10-year goal, Julie. <laughs> Dude, one of my friends, uh, and he doesn't know shit, but he was. we were talking about crypto, and he was saying that he read this article that said like anyone that invests in crypto right now is probably going to be a millionaire in 20 years. Like If you even put in a little bit of money, you're going to make a lot of money as long as you just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. I don't know his source, but he seems to be convinced. Also, on our company meeting today, crypto came up. It's like a fucking thing, y'all. Literally the first 10 minutes of our company-wide meeting with everybody on the call, the head of the company was talking about cryptocurrency. He was like, wow. I don't know shit about cryptocurrency, but I just bought a bunch this weekend because fuck it. Like, what did he buy, this. though? He bought fucking Dogecoin. Did he buy Dogecoin because puppies? of Saturday Night Live? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have, a, I have a real financial question uh, for you guys. Tell us about your risk tolerance, Maggie. It sounds like maybe you on my friend's opinion. <laughs> um, no, I think I think I've actually gotten riskier over time. Um, when I first started investing, um, it was just because you know, like my parents were like, "You should have a four hundred one k," and I was like, "I don't know. It seems like someone probably I'm fucking not gonna live that long, but whatever." And so I put like the bare minimum into a four, like basically the company match, and did that for a little while. Um, and that actually, that money has been fun to watch grow over time because I, during that time, was just very half-assedly, like, just put a little bit in. And now it's actually kind of a substantial amount of money, I think, 15 years later, which is kind of cool. But mm-hmm. anyway, so started out like that. And then um, it was until I took some time off and, like, 
tried to find myself and learned about like early retirement that I was like, oh, I should I should start investing in lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I started doing that. And then just the more I read, the more I was like, kind of like what Becca was saying, just like, oh, I should put some in real estate and I should put some in this and I should put some in that. But then it's hard when you're watching your like 2% of your portfolio that's in crypto jump up 100% a week. Right. And your like index funds just kind of beautifully but slowly growing. It's like a very different thing. And then you get this like, oh, I should move everything into crypto because it's like killing it. And then you're like, oh, but I could lose all my money. And so (laughs) I deal with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Right now I'm sort of feeling a little more risky because I like have a – some some job security so like i can take a little more risk Mm -hmm. and i have paid off my debt like when i had a lot of debt it was like i don't want to be risky with my money because every dollar i need to like get out of debt but now that i'm out of debt it's more like oh i have some money that i can play with a little bit more Mm -hmm. i have the feeling that over time i'll probably become even less risky than I am now just because I do want to retire early and I want everything to be automatic and Mm -hmm. not think about it. I do think it's a really important point that risk can be so relative to the rest of your living situation and that if you have your income locked down or you have an emergency fund and you're not trying to hit some sort of near-term retirement date, that can open you up where you're like, okay, I'm a lot more comfortable risking this for the potential yeah. That it moves that retirement date forward and knowing that if things go sideways, I can recover and that it's not going to impact my day-to-day life now because this is not money that I need for my day-to-day life now. Totally. Yeah. Like if I was retired, I would not be risky at all because it's like if I lose that money, I might never get it back. Yeah. Right. Which would be scary. And it, Yeah. It's interesting because like in the book Invested, we plugged it 16 times this episode, but it's what r- really spelled it out for me that holding on to your money is not unrisky. It's a guaranteed loss of money. Yeah. Like yeah. it's beyond risky. It's a yeah. guaranteed loss. Um, no question about it. Yeah. There's no, like if you're exclusively saving like I did, you will only lose value in your dollar. So it's not about is investing risky. It's about Investing is your only opportunity to not actively lose money. Yeah. Right. Um, but then do you want to invest in how much? bonds right. or index funds well, or cryptocurrency exactly. or real estate? Well, or- and, uh, and there is some people are very uh, immediate benefits. Like it's immediate satisfaction, immediate rewards. It's biologically programmed into us to be that way. So investing is naturally like it's like a long I mean, I guess for some people it's not. But in general, if you want to make like steady money off of it, it's like a long uh, the long con or whatever. The long con. The long con. It fucking is. (laughs) You know, like you got to you got to play the game long term to really see like big benefits unless you're doing something like meme stocks or like crypto where you just you're trying to like time it out, which is so hard to do. But and you always hear those stories of people that have made like millions of dollars overnight over this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next day they lose millions of dollars or more over it because you get yeah yeah for every story about someone making it big there's a story about someone losing their entire life savings for sure well there's no for every one story there's someone making it big there's a hundred people yeah that haven't told their stories that have (laughs) lost all their money (laughs) (laughs) so it's and it's it's scary it is a scary thing Mm -hmm. um and if 
if you're I yeah, I would think if you're really risk adverse, do the bare minimum and put it in index funds, get a 401k going, match it to the full and get an HSA. Yeah. And you're yeah. good. Buy buy if you do nothing else, just buy your US fucking treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. Um though yeah. we'll see what happens to those, I guess. Um, with some changes that are likely to come with interest rates from the Fed here soon. Um, but still yeah, like that. It's better than fucking sitting in your savings account. I think mine has been sitting in my money market account for the last ten years, making point oh two percent or something. Yeah. just absolutely beyond negligible. Twelve bucks a year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. This group of ladies is definitely what affected me investing and getting over that decade long fear of mm-hmm. like releasing even a tiny grip on my because I still have. of my portfolio is in cash. Like, I am by no means a fully evolved woman um, (laughs) or investor. But you are very strongly saying, like, the things. You're like, you... You truly believe that if you have cash, you're losing money. Yeah. But you still have cash. I still have cash. Fucking Warren Buffett style. <laughs> I'm no better than that man. No, it's because I... You're a um, little better than him. <laughs> slightly better. <laughs> um, I think I've got something around like 30% is in index funds, like active or general investing non-retirement. Um, and then probably 15% is retirement money. And then like another 5% is split between crypto and fun active investing. And then whatever is left is in cash. Um, but I do want to mine and I'm, I feel like I'm right in the middle when it comes to risk because I so see the value of just the slow burn index funds. And it's what I evangelize to everyone, but then I'm so, like enticed by the quick buck. Oh my God. I like, I feel like I'm just a moth to a flame. <laughs> and it's fun. It's Active so investing is fun. fun. Though now with crypto, like public is, or um, active investing is getting less fun because it's just going down. <laughs> right. And it's, it would fucking pisses me off because like with public, I'll find a company that's great. Like I believe in the hymns and hers company. Like I think it's really fucking good. It provides excess products to people and it like destigmatizes all the natural things that come with a human body and I believe in it and I have lost so much money on that <laughs> stock. <laughs> I've lost so much money. Um anyways, so yeah, I'm like right in the middle. And then when it comes to real estate, I'm the one of us who doesn't own any real estate. And it like kills me because I really want to own in Austin this like super hot market. But then the like equally big piece of me is like, what the fuck are you doing? You don't make enough money to own in this hot market. Like, this is a surefire way to lose all your fucking money is to like solo buy a house when you don't when you're a massage therapist. (laughs) Well, you got a boyfriend now. I do have a boyfriend. (laughs) who's incredible um but even between the two of us we are not high earners by any means um so and i don't i'm i don't feel comfortable putting that burden on him it's a yeah it's maybe a later down the line relationship issue yeah yeah i mean we are 
two months in. <laughs> so maybe in like three or four months. So we're going to talk in a couple weeks. Revisit it. <laughs> no, but even like I am very, very confident in this relationship. But even still, it's like money changes everything. And um, it, especially considering I've been looking at houses and looking at owning for over a year. Um, I wouldn't be like, hey, now that we're dating a couple weeks, hop on in. Get in here with me. Mix it up. Um, we have combined finances now. That's fine. Um, I want to be able to get it by myself. But anyways, I'm just very afraid. I'm a big weenie um, when it comes to real estate, even though it seems like the most guaranteed way to make money in this city. I'm like, hor- I'm terrified of it. Because there's just so much to know. That's why there's like 20 different experts on yeah. different aspects of real estate and like owning real estate. Yeah. There's just so much more than one person could possibly know. And I don't feel like I get it still. Like, I still don't. I'll like be it. completely honest with you. <laughs> like if there's interest that you're paying, how how much money do you have to make on a sale for you to actually make money off a house in Austin? And then if you were to yeah. want to continue to live in Austin, could you use that money to actually buy a house? Because most of that would still be your debt that you're paying off. So you really only have a little bit of money. To go towards a new house. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't yeah. get it. I don't get the math. And it scares me. It would have to, your house would have to be worth a lot more than what you bought it for plus interest for you to make money off of it. So like if I that's my understanding. So like if I no, not plus interest because the interest happens like as you go. Right. That's what I mean. Those the total. I mean, the total amount you've spent. So like say yes. say total. So like my house 375. Say by the time I'm done paying interest, it's what? 600,000. So a a few things on this. Big difference between primary residence, like if you are living there, it's a liability. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not making enough money to cover it, then you will lose your ass on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's an investment property that other people are paying off for you, then it's an investment. It might be like a neutral asset because the cash flow coming in just covers your monthly expenses or your monthly expenses plus a little bit for things that might come up like a hot water heater and stuff like that. But it's also really tricky to look at the math with real estate because when you're doing the math on a place that you live, Uh it's important to take into consideration if you're assessing that as an investment, but not also including how much you'd be paying to live somewhere else. Uh And comparing that to other investments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's like if me- I was paying. That's not making sense. <laughs> if I was paying $1,500 in rent losing, yeah. <laughs> versus $1,500 in mortgage. Uh-huh. That mortgage includes my um, principal, mm-hmm. my interest and insurance and other stuff. Mm-hmm. So at least, I don't know, maybe $500 of that is going to the principal of the house. Okay. So in rent, you're losing $1,500. Yeah. When you're paying a $1,500 mortgage, 500 of that is going to pay off something that you own. Yeah. So it's like $1,000 rent instead of five $1,500 rent. Yeah. Right. Or one way to think about the same level of investment, you'd have to be paying your $1,500 in rent and somewhere on the side, investing $500 on something that has the same return as a real estate investment. But it's just, I don't understand what the return, I I like really can't wrap my head around it. I really can't. Let's try, do you want to use my house as an example? Sure. And do the math? Yes. That's way more involved than you think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Let's simplify though. Okay. So say my interest is 3.4%. So... 
And it becomes complicated. Yeah, mortgage as you, interest as you pay loaded. it off, it gets it becomes less interest that you're paying. So right. you're paying a lot of interest up front because the amount you owe is so much. Like, but as the years go on, you pay less and less interest. So assuming I know you put ten percent down, but assuming you put zero percent down because you're a veteran, um, you owe the first month. Okay, so so doing it like month to month because it changes every month is actually a really hard way to conceptualize it because mortgage math is complicated. Yeah. But the important thing is you are looking at a 3.4% interest rate. That's what it's costing you because this is an investment you're making. You have to pay the interest as opposed to when you're investing in something, even like an index fund in the mm-hmm. stock market that has returns of 8%, mm-hmm. you'd be better off leveraging and getting a mortgage at 3.4% and letting someone else pay that off for you or paying it off yourself because it's saving you from putting all your cash in that investment. So if it frees up cash that you can put in an investment that makes more money, Mm. you come out ahead. Yeah. So the fee that you pay to hold on to the house is really low compared to the return that you you get from investing that that cash somewhere else. Interesting. That's why it makes sense to get a mortgage in some cases. Right. Yeah. But especially if someone, if it's an investment property with renters and someone else is paying it off for you. Yeah. Because you get to invest so much more money early in your life that you couldn't possibly invest otherwise because we don't have $500,000 yeah. or $200,000. Yeah. yeah. That's a good it, point. It does it's blow helpful. my mind how much money you could save, though, if you had cash to buy a house. Like, not having to pay a bank interest on a house. You would still come out ahead getting a mortgage yeah, and taking that cash more and putting it in something yeah. else. Really? Because like, 100%. for example, in the index funds, our rate of return is, say, 7%, which is, you which know, is higher, higher than, than 3.4 what, or whatever. Yeah, and you're paying a 3.4% on your house. Right. So if you put that money into an index funds mm-hmm. instead of the house, you're making 3% more than you would. Yeah, that's right. true. you're making enough to pay off the interest on your house and Plus that some. much again yeah. in cash for yourself. On so if I win the lottery tomorrow, I should not pay off the mortgage of my house. I you should, should buy said, 10 more houses. Buy 10 more houses. Yes. Yeah. And put aside an emergency fund so that you're never at risk of losing those investments if your income drops off right, for some right. reason. So that's sort of my philosophy. And I'm probably gonna have to cut a lot of whatever I said earlier that I don't even remember about my risk tolerance. But so <laughs> our investments, obviously, highly speculative crypto investment, but our actual long-term investment goals are mostly around real estate. One, because we get crazy tax benefits um, for real estate investing because the tax code's written for it. And then also because the ability to leverage your investment, but have cash coming in to cover it. So it's probably the least risky, high leverage investment Mm -hmm. option available to normal people. So we can invest 25,000 upfront in something. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it's paid off, that asset is worth half a million dollars. Yeah, if you have tenants paying the whole mortgage for you, then your $25,000 investment just became $500,000. Right. It's like you're making the investment that opens the door and someone else is actually paying the investment for you. I do find that very attractive. That makes me wonder... So like with my house, I really don't want to ever sell my house. Don't. Yeah, if I don't. don't if it's I the best house in the whole fucking don't. world. I love I it love so much. But I'm trying to figure out how I can make money off of it as values go up. 
And like, I know Zach has mentioned, you know, you could build, always like build a property in the back, but like, how would I make money if I'm, if I'm taking out a construction loan of like, you know, say $250,000 to build a house in the back, how am I ever going to make money to pay that off? Plus the mortgage of the house in the back, if I don't want to sell it. Okay. So the value at the end of your construction, mm-hmm. if you're doing your development project well, should come out substantially higher than the cost you had to take out to build it. So if it costs you 250000 to build in the back, but it ends up being a 400000 or $450,000 back house, mm-hmm. value-wise. You know, like HGTV, where they're like, we did a $10,000 bathroom remodel and added $40,000 with a value to the house. Right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah, but so, how am I okay. actually seeing that money? Okay, so here's how, here's how it works. You can cash out refi cash out down to 20%. Ca- I don't even know what that means. Cash so you, out refi. You do a refinance where they they redo your mortgage. You uh-huh. like get a new mortgage, they pay off your old one. And when you do that, you can cash out any equity you have down to 20% of the value. Okay, so if the bank the bank has a mortgage against your house, yeah. what they're doing is they're saying, "We'll give you enough money that we know if you default on this, we as the bank can sell your house and recoup our loss. Mm-hmm. So if they say, if we were to sell your property, it's worth 800000 mm-hmm. My brain is exploding <laughs> right now. So you have to keep 20%. Let's do a million dollars. Let's say your <laughs> new property value is a million bucks. Hell That's yeah. much easier. Thanks, Julie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then all you have to do is keep 20% equity in there. So $200,000, right? You cannot cash out the last $200,000 of that value. Mm-hmm. So you can leave that in there. Leave it where? In, in the, the bank. In the bank. the bank. Okay. In the bank. <laughs> not buried in a no, small bag. Yes. In old yes. Okay. <laughs> and then let's say at this point, your costs were $500,000 between what's left on your old mortgage and the construction costs. Mm-hmm. So... They're going to pay that off for you. So now you're at $700,000. Mm-hmm. That leaves you $300,000 worth of cash that you have in equity in the property that the bank will say, okay, we'll let you take out mortgage against that. And we'll give you that cash in cash to do what you want with it. Uh, but I have to pay interest on that cash, right? Yes. But you're paying interest, let's say, 3.5%. And you can take that 300000 and invest it in something that makes... Even a measly 7%, you're double the return. Oh, my God. That's genius. So I would just rent out the back house to cover the mortgage and take that extra money and invest it in something else to make more of a return to pay it off. Yes. Plus, I would get to keep some, like 3% of whatever I made. Yes. Oh, my God. Can you help? Can Zach help me? Can y'all help me do this? <laughs> yes. And also, I'll put some handy math breakdowns in the show notes. I need to get my life together before this happens. But um, that is, I would love to not have to sell my house or any part of my property if Don't I can. Don't sell your house. Mm-hmm. Like we're not even, gonna let you. Even your building- realtor won't sell it, or else we're <laughs> buying it. So, <laughs> even if I built a back house, I would love to be able to hold on to the property because I do really love my house. Well, I feel like we answered a lot of questions about real estate, 
and yeah. that I should just have even more. <laughs> I should buy a fucking house, even though it seems like the scariest thing in the entire world. But don't, yeah, and just don't live in it, you know? Like, oh, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I can't afford just, a house that I want to live in. <laughs> yeah, just buy it and rent it out. Or have, are there options to buy, like, I mean, this is probably even more expensive than buying a house, but are there options to buy, like, studios or, like, smaller, like, business spaces you could rent out? I don't know if that's... Commercial real estate. Like, like you can buy real commercial real estate, but, but like again, on a small scale. In, in spite of the impact of the pandemic on commercial real estate um, globally, in Austin, commercial real estate is still really crazy hot. Very hot. I was going to say last ditch effort if you can't afford any of that. And this is just for like general anyone listening that wants to invest in real estate but can't afford a house or a, you know any kind of real estate property you can always invest in real estate ETFs <laughs> they're hot y'all what's the things you are like REIT REIT yeah Re- real um, estate yeah it's basically like a real estate index fund essentially it's like a bunch of real estate properties that you can put a little bit of money into and it yeah. kind of spreads your money over the real estate market and there's so, one that's like just for New York City like you can invest yeah. in Manhattan all sorts of estate. like really specific stuff mm-hmm. and they on average have a higher return rate than traditional uh, index funds and ETFs for cool. other types of areas so that's just from what i've read i that's my understanding and i i've i am putting my mouth my money where my mouth is putting your mouth where your money is my mouth where <laughs> my foot is and my money um i have invested in re reits i have invested in it so i think it's a great option for people that can't necessarily afford to put you know a put a get a loan for $300,000 just yeah. put in 300 bucks into like real estate fund that you really like. Yeah, and you can get these like literally on your brokerage account if you've yeah. got a public or a Robinhood or a TD Ameritrade whatever. Which I kind of want to put more money into it now that COVID's now that we're opening up. COVID's not over, by the way. We have like five new strains, but whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Well, I'm officially in denial for the record. <laughs> it's you and everybody else. Yeah. Um, I still wear my mask every month. Yeah, but we'll see. I think for me, the biggest thing, I, I'm really comfortable with risk, but also having the level of security financially that I have now that we didn't have for a long time right. makes me really not want to let that go. Oh, yeah. And so even though I'm very interested in speculative crypto trading, that's largely still based around index and portfolio fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not really picking individual cryptocurrencies, like we're indexing them and taking the profits and rolling mm-hmm. them into other ones. Right. And then for real estate, my biggest thing is mitigating the risks inherent in leveraged real estate. Mm-hmm. So Every time we buy a property, I've been talking with Zach about this, and I want to have basically an emergency fund set aside per house that's a certain amount of money that covers, say, three months of the mortgage or six months Mm -hmm. of the mortgage or maybe Mm -hmm. even a year of the mortgage. So maybe like the first property, we have a larger Mm -hmm. emergency fund that covers a year, and then when we get another one, maybe we have enough to cover both of the places for six months each because the chance of both being vacant at the same time is a lot lower Mm -hmm. or if the AC blows up or that type of thing. So my biggest thing for mitigating the risk is having enough cash to buy into the property and still having cash left over to have that emergency fund because the real point at which people lose their ass in leveraged real estate is when they are keeping their finances like so close to the edge that 
one month of vacancy or two months of vacancy means they're they, they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I have six months worth of vacancy already covered in the account, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's you you can do riskier investments if you're really focused on mitigating the risks because they're known. These aren't new risks. Like you can see what happened in 2008 with people yeah. and who was successful and who wasn't. And it's pretty easy to then make a plan to put yourself in the people who'd be successful under those types of really extreme circumstances. Yeah, I am. I do feel like I'm at that point where I'm a little, I'm not as comfortable as I want to be with how much money I have saved for like to float the mortgage for a certain amount of time. I think I could float it like two to three months unpaid if like, you know, like that's alone. Like if Joey disappeared, I had no roommates, nothing. I don't think that's going to happen. But like worst case, if it does, it would be like two months, which is not enough. Um, But I've been like auto, like every month I have a certain amount of money, like auto transfer to my savings where like that all lives. Um, And that's just like cash. It's not invested. But it's one of those things where I feel like I need more of a buffer but I also need to make more money to have more of a buffer. It's funny. I like think a lot about how much, well, this is actually a question of the your money or your life prompts about money mindset. And it's like, how much money is enough money to you? And that number is, I've just realized for myself, unachievable because my enough changes constantly. Like, <laughs> right. I think, okay, once I hit this net worth, I'll feel comfortable buying a home and then I'll hit it and surpass it and be like, whoa, no way. <laughs> um, and so, like, what is enough? Well, it's just like, right. I mean, I feel like we have this conversation sometimes, like, we how much lot, weight yeah. do you have to lose for it to be enough for you to feel confident in what X or, you know, like, right. yeah. like, th- what are these num? What are these arbitrary things that we're imagining? Right. Like, yeah. how, what do I need for me to take myself seriously? Like, what number needs to be in my account? What does my dress size need to be? Like, when do I decide? that I am valuable. (laughs) I think the answer is it's never enough. It's never enough. And that's why you have to like, because so much of our money is tied to our emotions. Mm -hmm. Like you have to actually do the fucking math. Mm -hmm. Like don't like have a feeling (laughs) like this number feels like enough because it won't be when you get there. Well, and life is dynamic, like you were just saying. Yeah. And as soon as you get there, then you're in a whole set of new fucking circumstances. Well, it's like the whole thing we've been talking about tonight with like, what's your risk like what's your level of risk you feel comfortable with it changes hourly oh my god for me like depending on my mood like i'll go through a like a afternoon high where i'm like fucking blow all my money on gamestop yeah and it's like by the evening i'm like i need to really like conserve and save and not spend money and then i'm like buy buy and bury some gold yeah like (laughs) i feel like i'm changing all the time and you're totally right like sometimes i feel super confident at a size 14 or whatever than I do at a size six or what, you know, like any size, it's just, it doesn't, it's never, it's never going to be enough ever. Yeah. No matter what. Very complicated. But I also have the, like, cause all my free time, obviously I fuck around on the internet, but like a lot of that time is spent on 
financial shit. Like I am constantly reading financial shit, but we're talking, we're not talking high level peer reviewed shit. We're talking like deep CD, like what's the next hot thing slash what should I be watching out for? Like forums. <laughs> and I love it so much. Um, or it's just refreshing my crypto account. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll think like, okay, um, if we break through 3000 on Ethereum, we're going to go parabolic. So I need to put a lot more money in Ethereum. And that means we're getting close to the altcoin season. So I need a limit. And then I'll read like one little thing that's like, guys, something that go goes up can't go up forever. It's going to crash. Also, SNL, Elon Musk, Dogecoin, meme, crash. And so I was like, fuck, you're right. Crypto is nothing. <laughs> and so I want to pull everything out of crypto. Yeah, yeah. And then I want to put it in stocks. But then you read about how the, the stock, stock market is going to crash. It's going to crash. I have been, Every this has been dwelling on me. So this has been weighing on me so much with, in, with investing just in yeah. the stock market. Part of me is like, I feel like I should just sell all of my stocks or at least my all of my dumb meme stocks because it's all going to fucking crash soon. Every indicator says Every that the indicator. stock market is going to crash. And fucking Warren Buffett, 150 billion sitting in cash. And the reason he's doing that is because he wants to buy it when the inevitable crash comes. Berkshire Hathaway is sitting on $60 billion cash because the company wants to buy up shit. Anyways, they literally want to make money (laughs) off of you losing money. So go fuck yourself, Warren Buffett. (laughs) And fucking Charlie Munger. Literally, their whole thing, their whole thing is buy fear, sell greed. And you're like, buying fear doesn't make you good. Doesn't make you a good person. Doesn't make you good. immoral. You're just literally taking money from millions of people. I should save some cash for a few months. Exactly. But then you can't hold on to cash. What's that going to do? Because you're losing it. Like, an inflation. Like, no matter what, you're just going to fucking lose because the game is rigged. So I'm fully invested in crypto <laughs> and real estate because people have to live somewhere. They do. That Especially is, go away. Yeah, you're right. My and good friend Becca is going to pay my mortgage for me. <laughs> well, she was paying mine for a while and now she's paying yours. So <laughs> she's doing her part. Look, I'd rather pay y'all's mortgage than some fucking management. That was actually a huge and like a huge part of me and Andy deciding where we wanted to live because we're like, well, we could have a bigger space uh, in like a maybe a, a place we want like a location that might be a little more convenient for his commute. But we'd be paying all our money to some fucking property management company. And I have loved the past year paying my money to Taylor and like it going to her mortgage. That's like it doesn't feel like I'm throwing. I mean, technically for my finances, I know it's not an investment, but I don't feel like I'm throwing away money. It's an investment in our relationship. It is. <laughs> we have a financially based And look at this mug I got you. <laughs> it is paying off. But it really it doesn't feel like I'm throwing away money. It feels like I'm investing in someone I love, which I am. And like, you know, that's like that that's a huge sell of why we wanted to yeah, move well, into Andy's like back. We're still all so close to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Four blocks. Yeah, I love it so much. That was There's it. no price tag on that. There's no price tag on it. <laughs> Maggie could have charged us anything. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Not really. <laughs> we don't make that much money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it it is a good argument for real estate investing though, is that it I it probably is a a lot more um uh what is it the word like resistant to the stock market changes Mm -hmm. or like proof stock market crash proof i don't know Mm -hmm. like if the stock market all plummets real estate will probably go down but not as much as like the stock market's going down 
They're separate markets. So There's, that yeah. the real estate market has its own crash risks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fundamentals are quite different than when like the last the 2008 real estate crash happened. That happened for very specific reasons. It has its own risks and you need to know those risks before you go investing in real estate. Um, but again, a lot of the risks inherent in real estate investment, you can mitigate yourself, mm-hmm. whereas you have very little control over mitigating the risks right. in the stock market and in the companies involved in the stock market. Like you don't have a lot of control over the actions they're taking that can affect their valuation. But if it's your own real estate investment, you have the ability to mitigate those risks yeah. yourself. So when you say you have more control over it, you mean like where you're buying and things like that? Like you have more control over the actual like location? Well, from the the upfront, yeah, you you do have control over the upfront investment, but that's also like when you're picking companies, you have that level of control. But by having an emergency fund to mitigate the risk, because your biggest risk when the real estate investment is vacancy rates during some sort of transitional period. Mm -hmm. So you have to survive that transitional period. But if you know that upfront, you can stack enough cash to cover that and mitigate 90% of your risk on that investment. And you can also choose like how you improve your house, where you're putting um, future value, landscaping, redoing the bathroom, stuff like that. Like those are all choices you can make and how you do it and how nice you want to do it versus not. So it's so it's kind of fun. I like that aspect of it. Right. Some of the factors in the value of that asset are things you can actually control and add to to increase the value. There's some that just increases because the market in that area is going up. But like Maggie was saying, a lot of things are you can make the decision to redo the kitchen or redo the bathroom and you can get a lot more value than the cost it took to do it. And that's in your control. You can't walk into a big company that you're invested in and you're like, I'm going to change some things around here. (laughs) I'm going to redo y'all's bathroom real quick. I love real estate. I do find that what Taylor was saying earlier is that it's not very accessible for a lot of people is true. And even already owning a home, I'm finding it very difficult to make a second investment just because that down payment money that you need is so hard to save. It's hard to have that big chunk of change and not have something else that prioritizes your life well, first. Especially in our, our city, we have some high costs for our homes. Yeah. It's very expensive to live centrally. So if you want to invest centrally, you have to have a fuck ton of money on hand and earn quite a bit of money. <laughs> Even like traditionally, like a $100,000 house, you want to put 20% down, that's $20,000. That's a, still a really big chunk of change for yeah. young people to have. Yeah, totally. And so it is, I think Taylor is dead on that it is hard to break into real estate. It's not easy. It's not easy. Cool. Well, is there anything else we feel like we need to cover about investment style, investment vibes? We should talk about those different styles. Well, so I think you're referring to the SRI versus impact versus, yeah. So Julie very kindly broke out these kind of different ways that you can approach what you're investing your money actually in. And we talk about this a lot, like how whenever you're investing, you're voting with your dollar. So if you want to only invest in tobacco and guns and gambling or whatever, just be mindful that you're further funding those causes. And maybe that's totally fine with you and that's fine. Um, But you 
it's naive to assume that you're working in some sort of vacuum. Like what you're putting your money towards is essentially a vote um, because you're full, you're further funding it. So Julie reminded us of the socially responsible investing. And what was the environmentally responsible investing? Environmental, social, and governance. Yeah. Like ESGs, I think they are. Yeah. So those are essentially investing in companies that aren't actively working against <laughs> the environment, human rights, social causes. But so it, so that means thing, companies that are doing positive things, and it means companies that are doing nothing, very neutral, uh, net, net, net zero um, towards those pause causes. And then there's impact investing, which is where it's you're exclusively investing in companies that do great or do positive things for those movements and those causes. Mm-hmm. Um, but excluding the neutral. Excluding the neutral. So I don't really know much about how... So my Betterment account is Betterment SRI, Socially Responsible Investing. That's the portfolio. But I don't know much about impact investing. And is that something that you can robo-invest in? Or is that where you need to conscientiously... You have to consciously seek that out and put that in yourself? At this point, it's still a lot more active investing or even angel investing. We don't have access to do VC investing necessarily because we're not accredited investors. Mm -hmm. But the rise of the ESG and the SRI funds over the last few years, I think is indicating that soon we are going to have more impact investment funds available to us as retail investors. Totally. So the the ESGs and the SRIs are really the first wave Mm -hmm. where we can say, I care about these causes and I do not want to invest in, say, a total stock market index fund right. because I am sort of unintentionally also funding things that go against my own values. Mm-hmm. But by investing in the ESGs or the SRIs, I can at least weed out the worst players and put my money in companies that at least aren't doing harm. And some of them may be quite positive. Yeah. But in a few years, hopefully we'll have more options to be able to pick like, no, I want to put my money behind companies that are both a good financial investment and are actually actively working towards these positive endeavors that are going to impact the environment or social change or any of the things that sort of match up with my own value set. Yeah, I think we're moving that. Well, and they're making what fucking it's about it's driving me crazy. There's a company that started where you can as an individual contribute to like essentially act as a VC, as a venture capitalist without being an accredited investor. And it's more like crowdfunding sort of situation where you're pitching in money towards something. We funder. It's not WeFunder, but I assume it's the same thing. Um, and it gives non-accredited investors. And what that means is you just make less than a million dollars, essentially. And you can invest in startups that you really care about. And you can invest in companies that are actively working towards a positive good that you care about that is not currently very accessible to us, especially from a startup perspective. So I think that shift is coming very, 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 very quickly. I agree. And I know we throw around the terms index investing and active investing and Taylor as being very interested in value investing um, and certain companies we've mentioned who might be more growth investment. Should we jump into explaining those briefly as well? Totally. Yeah. So index investing, you're investing in index funds that track the overall market. So um, they usually are slower growing, but they have a really good consistent 
growth over time. It's looking at the market as a whole. Or like it could be looking into like the top. Right. A certain section of the market or the entire market. And so your returns will match the average of that section of the market, essentially. Exactly. So if the market's doing really well and the stocks are all up, you're going to be making money. Um, But it looks at like businesses across the board. So like hundreds or thousands of businesses are in an index. And your big your big benefits there are that often these can be quite low cost and. Yep require very little involvement or market knowledge. Exactly. And it gives you access to all these companies. And lower risk. At lower risk, yeah. And a lot of investment guys are, most all of them are huge, huge fans of index funds and always recommend it. Active investing is taking more risk where you're kind of creating your own portfolio of businesses that you want to put your money towards, which could be a higher risk in general because you then you're uh, betting that a certain companies are going to do really well and they don't always do really well. So then you have to learn how to evaluate a company, which is what we talked about with invested, mm-hmm. um, deciding whether a company's worth it or not. So like Becca really loves to like find companies she really believes in or likes or, you know, or just going new and invest in those. That's like Mm -hmm. active investing when you're like making those active decisions about certain companies. Yeah. And yeah. And then in value investing is like an addition to that where you can pick certain companies that you really believe in and want to support. Um, And, you know, obviously you should do your research on them, but you can also pick index funds that you really believe in or want to support or ETFs that you really believe in and want to support. Like one I invested in recently was an index fund for just companies that have really good uh, diversity policies. Mm. (laughs) So like companies that like will are really like have like the best like diversity programs and um, hiring practices. Like that's a fucking index fund that you can invest in. Yeah, it's so cool. It's crazy. There's like, there's literally everything mm-hmm. that you can imagine. It's fun. It's like, ooh, I want to invest in like water world. <laughs> Which you shouldn't do. But um, yeah, I don't know. There's probably like a museum index fund or something. <laughs> I know like the more I dove into value investing, the more it kind of fucks with me um, because the idea of value investing is, yeah, you you research a company and you actually use math to establish its value rather than use your gut like I like to prefer <laughs> to do. Um, but it's more than that. Whenever uh, most value investors consider value investing, investing in something when its price is lower than its value. Yeah. Um, so you're buying something at what you believe based off of evidence to be under the value of that asset. Um, so that could what be the original dude who was super in a GameStop did, right? Yes. Where he was deep like, fucking value. I, yeah, deep, fucking, deep value. fucking value. He was like, I think this stock I like or this company stock. has a lot of value and people aren't recognizing it. Exactly. So that's what value investing is. It's not just evaluating how much a company is worth and then establishing its stock price. It's attempting to buy it under its value yeah, so that you that's will that's a much make better money. definition. Well, so what why that fucks with my head is a lot of reasons. A, we're in a very bullish market and nothing feels like it's at the appropriate value, certainly not under it. But then 
bringing it back down to real estate. Actually, Julie sent us a TikTok video that really got in my fucking head. The guy with the apple, where <laughs> the guy with the apple. I sent like, that to so many people. Oh my god, god. it really fucking me. Watch it because there was that line where it's it's just this little skit where this guy is talking about real estate right now, and you're selling an ad. It, it, Paralleling it with selling an apple and it immediately goes, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but there's a point where he's like, okay, the apple, we've got a starting bid at this. Um, and the guy was like, wait, is it even worth that? And he was like, it doesn't matter. And that's like how I'm looking at <laughs> yeah, real the estate guy's like, now. I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that's how I'm looking at real estate. I was like, wait, is this house worth this? And like, obviously, if you're looking at just the structure of the home, no, yeah. it's not. It's a teardown shed. It's very upsetting that you have to pay half a million dollars for it. But the value lies in its, you know, location, etc. Anyways, all that to say, value investing really fucks with you because it involves math and it involves a knowledge of your human market. Behavior. Human 100%. behavior. It's psychology. And it involves you are betting that other people are sharing the same delusion that you are, that yes. it's worth a certain amount. Because money is just a delusion that we all share, yeah. believe in. It means nothing. It's just dead trees <laughs> and ones and zeros. This is the third most common thing Taylor says on the podcast. It means money is nothing. I love it when Taylor does this, though, because I always feel like I'm the doomsday person. And it's really comforting and calming for me personally <laughs> to hear someone else doing the doomsday talking i get it <laughs> burn your fucking money <laughs> cash is trash guys <laughs> uh. cash is See if you were on more crypto forums, that would have triggered that. That's so funny. Anyway, so that's value investing. (laughs) Okay, so one of the more interesting things I think for starting to just gain awareness of potential value investing opportunities, if you're not comfortable doing the the math and assessing the value versus the current market price, you can look for another type of value investment, which is you can have a company that is doing well and on a standard trajectory, and then has something happen that changes perception about the company. So for example, they could have a PR scandal, right, that temporarily causes the price to drop, but it's something that you believe is recoverable, Mm-hmm. So like they can kick off the CEO or whatever who had some personal scandal that has temporarily affected that company. Right. But you expect that the actual underlying value of the product or service will bring the price, the stock price back up. So buying in when there is like a mm-hmm. PR scandal, as long as it's not something that actually affects yeah. the company, that's another like opportunity for value investing because it's a very obvious right. discount because the price was this yesterday and it suddenly dropped, but right. for a reason that's not really related to what the company does. Yeah, totally. Man, cracked me up when like a couple weeks ago, Biden's uh, hike on capital short-term capital gains tax was leaked. Um, and Grant, okay, so this 
is only relevant for people who make over a million dollars. So most of our listeners, this is not even relevant to you. So please don't, don't internalize it. I bet it. like Elon Musk probably listens to us, right? Well, okay, Elon, not you, buddy. Sorry, <laughs> not to be <laughs> Mr. insensitive, Mister Musk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that I saw it. Like I, I was. Oh because- my, sorry. Real quick, what if Elon <laughs> fans were called Musketeers? <laughs> oh my God, why aren't they? Right? Maybe they are. Surely they must be. Hey, musketeers, write in. Tell us about... <laughs> That's crazy. That's perfect. It's perfect. I'm That's sorry. We- no, it's like weirdly perfect. I'm going like, to look this up. Why haven't heard that yet? That's got to be a thing. Everyone who invests in Dogecoin, you're a fucking musketeer. <laughs> Just so you know. I feel like they would self-ascribe as Elonians or something. Oh, you know, man. it sounds very Martian, extraterrestrial society, weird. Cora, would... Would Elon Musk fans be called musketeers? Someone has already asked this question. That's a good question. That's why they've asked it. Anyway, go on. I don't even remember what I was talking about. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Couldn't uh, even oh, give you a big the, idea. The price hike. Oh, when the price hike happened. So, yeah, when his uh, capital short-term capital gains tax hike increased, it's like for people who make over a million dollars, it's currently at 39%. It leaked that he's thinking of raising it to 43%. Very sexy stuff. Um, when that leaked, I because I'm obsessive about my investments, my small investments, my big ones I never look at, but my small investments <laughs> I'm very intense about. And I was watching my public account, and I just saw everything, beep, at 12.05 p.m. that day, just dove. And I was like, why is everything diving at the exact same time? What the fuck is happening? And I was looking everywhere. And then, of course, I find out that's what happened. Anyways, all that to say is that caused this big discount in tech and growth stocks. Even though we know that these millionaires are going to buy back in, they're not, even if this tax hike goes through, they're not going to just stop trading. That's not going to happen. Um, they're not going to pour all their money into bonds, which is what I think theoretically they're saying is the better strategy for these people. Um, that's not going to happen. There's no way that they can accept a 6% increase after like thirsting on 12% increases or whatever. Anyways, all that to say is it shouldn't scare you when things like that happen because it doesn't affect the actual quality of the company, the value of the company. It's just some weird thing that's happening that you have to kind of wait through or buy into. Why is he increasing the capital gains tax? So that people who have more money have to pay more money whenever yeah. they make short-term. But capital. people that have so much money don't really give a shit about paying a little more money. It really just affects poorer people. No. Like- no, no, no. If, if you are a high enough income earner that you are in the highest tax bracket for capital gains taxes... That particular Got bracket it. will Just that increase. One is yeah. Up. However, to your original question, I would say that historically it has shown that raising the tax rate on the wealthy only causes them to change their strategy. It does not actually increase right. taxes. But you've forgotten the real job of a politician is not to increase tax revenue. It's to get reelected by the masses. Yeah. yeah. So this is really most likely... Mm-hmm. A pandering to the broader population where we're like, yes, tax the rich more, even though historically it doesn't historically it doesn't actually have the outcome they're claiming it will. Remember when England tried to tax the rich more? (laughs) That's how this country started. People literally rioted. It's a nice idea. And the math is beautiful on paper. And yeah, 
It doesn't work. It never works like, because the rich people can just hire people to get them out of it. Or they just move their money to the next to other place countries. that has yeah. a lower. Yeah. Um, okay. So value investing is really <laughs> looking at the current price compared to the actual underlying value mm-hmm. and buying it at a discount. Yeah. Growth investing on the other side of that is looking at the current price and predicting what you think the future value is going to be. Which is very hard to do. It's very hard to do. But we all know like hot companies that we think have done some cool things and have really cool initiatives that they're trying to roll out for new products and services. And as long as they do it well, we think that their price is going to go up dramatically. Mm -hmm. So buying it now and banking on them executing that plan well is sort of your growth investing Mm -hmm. strategy. So it's higher risk potentially higher reward. And both of those are active investing styles. Yeah. I've lost so much money on so many stupid fucking stocks. <laughs> it is insane. <laughs> Insanity. I just would like to reiterate that index investing, not a terrible plan. <laughs> really isn't, guys. Though the only reason I'm in the black with all of my investing is because of fucking GameStop. <laughs> like all of my profits have come from GameStop. With, I That's think, impressive. Because I've lost so much money in all of the companies that seemed really good. <laughs> Not BlackBerry, but... <laughs> Another point to uh, what Maggie's saying, um, the only stock that's made me real money is Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund. <laughs> Since I have... Inve- like, I bought a bunch of different ETFs and index funds. They've all made mon- some money, but the one that is made the most is the fucking VTI, which is what every big investor tells you to invest in. Yeah. So so in conclusion, but go also, back to our index funds episode. Yeah. Seriously, start there. Guys. I honestly revisit some of our episodes when I've forgotten. I'm like, I should go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah, I re-listened totally. to the crypto episode to recently. Which one? This is the crypto one. And I listened to the GameStop one recently. The GameStop one is fun. <laughs> I love that episode. It is so fun to listen to. This is some really high energy. I know. <laughs> I, just, energy. I love the Diamond hands. Rocket to the moon. Diamond <laughs> hands. Go to the moon. <laughs> Go to the rocket ships. <laughs> True. Uh, um, okay. Closing remarks. Anybody about investment styles and how as long as you're investing, your investment style is correct. <laughs> uh, I think in summary, cash is trash. Cash Go is back trash. and listen to the index funds episode. Yeah. And then if you want to get risky with like 1% or 5% or 10% of your portfolio, depending on how risky you're feeling, then maybe try out some active investing yeah. in whatever style you choose. Yeah. Start learning about some value investing or growth investing or speculative crypto investing. Yeah. Do your thing. So if you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a message on our Instagram at Vaginance Podcast. Go to our website, Vaginance.com. We want to get a voice message from you with any thoughts you have. We've got all kinds of really cool show notes that Julie put up. The information on there is incredible. I refer people to that website all the time because it's so helpful. Um, So if you don't want to hear our dumb voices, but you do want to read our dope information, go to the website, go there. And yeah, send us some messages. We love you so much. (laughs) We love you. In the show notes this week, we will definitely include breakdowns of the different types of investing we talked about, as well as some very handy breakdowns of mortgage math that will be much clearer than our very complicated on the cuff, off the cuff explanations. Mortgage math exists. I think 
I don't know. None of it tracks. Uh, it makes it sound like it's it's like mortgage math sounds like its own like dimension of math. Yeah, like it's, it's like, a new it's like chicken math. Y'all, yes. y'all know chicken it's math. It's literally a made up math form. Or it's like George George W. Fuzzy math. He's like, math. what are you even talking about? What you, there's no different math. There's just the one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah. It's like alternative facts, you know? Yeah, just alternative facts. There's real facts, and then there's alternative facts. Um, and it isn't even, quote, altcoin season yet, which is when things <laughs> get really wild. Well. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like hunting season for fucking nerds. <laughs> it is.